Well, it's good to be here at Porchlight Baptist Church this morning. Glad to have those that are here and those that may be watching online. Uh, we're still in our Gospel of John sermon series, and we're actually in a mini-series in that, the Woman at the Well series. We've already had two parts, and today will be the third and final part of this uh, Woman at the Well uh, in this Gospel of John sermon series. And so, Lord willing, we're going to be looking at John chapter 4, verses 31 through 42, and we'll read the text there in a minute, but uh, first let's uh, kind of catch up where we're at and where we've been. Uh, last week we looked at verses 15 through 30, and it detailed Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. Now we saw how Jesus called her out on her sin, how she'd been married, what she had five husbands, and she was living with a man now that was not her husband. And uh, she tried to, de to deflect the conversation and get off on to religion. Uh, and that's, like we mentioned last time, that's how a lot of people do, especially non-Christians uh, and people that don't go to church. The first thing you want to do when a Christian starts witnessing or uh, pointing out sin is they want to start trying to get all religious you know, show you just what they know about religion. You know, you think you're a Christian. Oh, well, I know a little bit. Uh, I used to work with a guy um, several years ago, and uh, he claimed to be an atheist, and but yet he would go around trying to quote Bible verses, you know, just to try to make us Christians look stupid or something, you know. And uh, we were talking about death one day, and he says, what, death, you're going to quicken my body? You know, he started doing things like that. And uh, you'll find that with uh, lost people. Uh, they want to make light of the things of God because they don't understand it. They get under conviction, and that's their way of deflecting the, the things away from them and trying to put it on you. And so that's kind of what this woman's done. And she's obviously had some religious upbringing. She's heard the things about God and, and uh, some prophecy and such. She knew about this Messiah who had been promised. And so there's some conversation there. Jesus kind of plays along with her little religious deflection. And uh, then suddenly he has to get into her head that he's not been speaking about physical things. He's talked about the water. You know, give me water. And she says, you know, sir, you don't have anything to dip with. And, the, you know, the well is deep and all this stuff. And so he has to start turning her focus off of the physical things and on the spiritual and so, so then he starts giving her spiritual truths. And he goes as far as to point blank tell her that he is the Messiah. He, I mean, it's what he told her. Uh, he says, I am he that, that speak with thee. So, so he's told her that he is the Messiah. And at that point right there, she believes in Jesus as Savior, as Messiah. Because she knows the things that's been promised about him. And she, he had told her everything about her without even her saying anything, and so she, uh, you know, she come to the conclusion that he is the Messiah, and she believed in him on, at that point. You can say she got saved right there, and she immediately leaves her water pot, forgets the physical things, the water and the thirst and everything that, you know, the water's needed for, and her mind is now spiritual, and she wants to run into the city and start telling people about that man, the Messiah, uh, who told her all things, and that's what she does. She runs to the city starts telling them, you know, come meet a man who told me all things, you know. And so it, then everybody starts going to see Jesus because of what she said, because of her 
testimony about Christ, they come to see him. And that's where we pick up in our text this morning. Uh, after she's went to tell them and they're on their way to see Jesus in John chapter 4, verse 31, the Bible says, In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said to them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Has, has any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he and that soweth, both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Father, thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Help us now as we try to preach, Lord, that you'll receive any glory from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here, as the people have came to see Jesus, and they also are listening in on the conversation he's having with the disciples. The disciples have came back, uh, and as they were coming back, they saw Jesus speaking with the woman at the well, and they were confused about it and wondered why he was, didn't say anything. And the woman, that's when she leaves that area and goes into the city, and the disciples turn to Jesus and says, In the meanwhile, uh, disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. And so they're concerned that Jesus has not ate anything. It's been a long day already. He's been traveling all morning to get to where he was at. Uh, he he's not had anything to eat. He needs to eat something because uh, you know it's a uh, it's a long. The Bible said he was wearied, and so he was weary. He was thirsty, and no doubt he was hungry. And so they're concerned, you know, about his physical well-being, and that's all a good thing. They should have been, um, but uh, so they're urging him to eat something. But look what he says to him, verse thirty-two. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Has any man brought him all to eat? And so, so his answer kind of confuses them. So it's almost cryptic. Uh, but Jesus does things like that. He says things to get people to think. Uh, nothing Jesus ever did or said was for nothing. It was all purp- purposeful and um he does things in his own way. He's, his ways are a lot different than ours. And so everything he does is for a specific reason. In this case, it's not to confuse them, but it's to get them to start opening up their minds and take their focus off of their physical things and onto spiritual things, just like he had to do with the woman at the well. And so he tells them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And immediately they're thinking, 
somebody already brought him something? Did one of you guys bring? And so they're they're talking to each other. Did one of you all bring him something? Does he have a bag of beef jerky hid somewhere we don't know about? Yeah. So um, their first thought is somebody else has already gave him something to eat, and so they're talking about it. Uh, look, the the disciples weren't really well known for their mental prowess. <laughs> you know, after all, most of them were fishermen. And uh, blue-collar workers, there was a few that was more educated. I'm sure that Matthew, the, the, the Levi, as he's called, the tax collector, uh, I'm sure that he had a little more education than perhaps some others. But most of them were fishermen. Peter, James, John, Andrew, you know, they all fished. And so they weren't known for a lot of uh, mental things, you know, being very smart. Uh, just like when the... Uh, the uh, the, the men in the, in, the, in the temple, in the synagogue, the, the leaders when they came to him, and they thought they were unlearned men, and they couldn't believe how they were speaking because they were uneducated. But just as Jesus had done with the woman at the well, where she was thinking also in the physical sense, he is going to guide now their minds into a more spiritual realm. Look at verse 34. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. All right, so now Jesus is explaining here. He has a different kind of substance. Uh, It's the nourishment of doing God's will, doing the will of the Father. And Jesus has said that all, all along. He come to do the will of the Father. That's his main desire in life. His desire wasn't focused on food. It wasn't focused on his well-being, his, his, you know, having enough water to drink. You know, all that comes second place to, to Jesus. First and foremost in Jesus' mind was doing the will of the Father. And that's what he says. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. So I get nourished by doing things for God. That's what I get nourished with. In other words, he's more concerned with spiritual food than he is physical food. And this is where we see a great difference between Jesus and his disciples. And also between Jesus and us, for all that matters. Uh, We are so much different. We don't think the way that he thinks. We don't think the way that God thinks. We're not much different than Peter, James, and John. We would have thought the same thing about, you know, need to get something to eat, need to get some food. We always want to take care of our own physical needs first. Let's be honest and ask ourselves this morning, what was the first thing on your mind when you woke up today? Mine was, do I really have to get up? Can I not just lay here and get another hour's sleep? That was my first thought. And then when I did get up, my my next thought was I need to take a shower and get ready. I need to get breakfast. And probably the, the biggest thought on my mind was getting coffee this morning. That was probably the most focused thing on my mind was getting coffee. Now, after I got... All of that over with and got myself took care of. Then I started focusing on the message and I got focusing on church and the things of the Lord and and all that. And so maybe you're different. Maybe you woke up thinking about the things of God. Maybe you woke up, you're so much more spiritual than I am that you woke up thinking, how can I do things for the Lord today? Uh, Maybe you were. Uh, So look. I can guarantee that Jesus is nothing like I am and nothing like you are because the Bible tells us in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
that kind of puts us in our place, doesn't it? I mean, the Lord tells us. He knows us. He know he, he created us. So he knows our thoughts and he knows our ways. And he says, look, your ways are not, not like my ways. The things you're thinking, I don't think that way. So while you're focused on getting coffee and getting up and, and taking care of yourself, my mind is focused on doing the things of God. Would to God that our minds would be more that way. Would we... Be like Paul lays out the, the pieces of armor. Maybe we should be getting up every day and, and thinking about the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth and all those pieces of armor, and maybe we would have a more mind like Christ and not be focused on self. But look at verse 35. Jesus goes on. He's speaking to disciples. He says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. So he's taking what he knows they're thinking about. Uh, when they think of harvest, they think, well, now hang on. The harvest doesn't occur for four more months. We know when we've got to go out and, and reap the things that's been, been sown uh, out there in the fields. And so he's, he's comparing their physical way of thinking to a spiritual way of thinking. And so uh, it, the disciples know, well, it's four months away. Uh, for the harvest. And Jesus has a different harvest on in mind, and it isn't wheat, barley, grapes, olives, uh, those types of things. Those are figs. Those things were what they grew in that area, which we refer to as Palestine these days. The word Palestine is not in here. Uh, but that area in the Middle, e Middle East, that's what they grew there. It was, it was wheat, barley, grapes, olives, figs, all those um, things that they relied upon and uh, that's the way a lot of them made their living, but that's how they ate. And that's, you know, when it come close to harvest time, four months away, uh, they would have been conserving because their food's probably running low by this point. So they're going to make sure that they divvy out the portions so they don't run out of food before the harvest time. And so that's what the, the disciples have on their mind. But Jesus is saying, look, uh, I'm not talking about that when it's coming in four months. Get your mind off that. I want you to look right now. The fields are white, uh, already to harvest. Now, when he talks about a white field, he's making a comparison with uh, when they would grow the wheat and stuff, and it, at the top of it, it'd have the white blooms and things like that, and it would look white on top. And so, but he's referring to lost souls, is what Jesus is speaking of. That harvest is those that's out there waiting to hear the message of the truth, the gospel. And uh, that's, he says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. Uh, the truth is the spiritual harvest is always there. It's always, it's a never ending one. As far as the eye can see, there are fields of lost people all over this world and they're white already to harvest. And the time to do it is now. It's not four months from now. It's not a year from now. It's not, you know, a certain time that we have to put down that when we're going to try to reach them. But the time is, is right here in the present. And that's what Jesus is trying to emphasize here. The time is now. The ur there's urgency in sharing the gospel because one day the Lord is going to finish this place up. He's going to come back. He's going to, uh, this, this whole place is going to be burned up. The Bible tells us that. Fervent heat. It's going to be burned with fervent heat. And, uh, you know, at that point, it's going to be too late to share the gospel. We need to do it right here and right now. 
And so time is running out. The world is winding down. And I know the younger people don't even like to think about that. My oldest daughter, uh, Jessica, she gets all tore up when I start talking about, you know, the end of time and things. And she's like, I'm not ready. I, you know, there's still got too much life to live. And uh, But uh, the truth is we're closer today than we were yesterday of when that day is going to come. And we don't know when it is. No man knows the hour. Only the Father knows. Uh, when that time will be. But this spiritual harvest never ends, and the urgency for it is now. But I looked up a few statistics this week. The Pew Research Center, who does a lot of research on uh, religious things, Christianity churches and, and stuff like that, they say in their last survey, approximately 65% of Americans claim to be Christian. All right, so 65% of Americans claim that they are Christian. Now, that number has been getting lower every year. Uh, it, it used to be way up there, like 95%, way way back. And it keeps getting lower and lower and lower. Uh, they also say that about 3 in 10 U.S. adults are now religiously unaffiliated. And what that means is 29% of the U.S. population is made up of people who describe themselves as atheists, agnostics or nothing in particular whenever they're asked about their religious identity. Now, if we were surveyed, we would identify as Christian. Uh, but 29% of those that were surveyed here in the U.S. claim they're not, they're not affiliated with any kind of religion. Don't, nothing to do with it. I'm atheist. I don't believe in God. don't believe in his existence. Agnostic. He could be or could not be. I don't know him. Don't care. You know? <laughs> or Nothing. I don't even want to talk to you. I don't, I'm nothing. And so that's kind of uh, bothersome that there's all these people out there like that. So the fields are ripe and the harvest right now where we are. Uh, according to the Barna Research Group, they're another group that, that uh, does these surveys of religious things, and they say two in five or 39% of Christians are not engaged in discipleship at all and keep their Christianity private. So 39% of Christians who were interviewed say they don't witness anybody. They're, they're not doing discipleship with anyone. They, in fact, they keep their Christianity private. You don't talk to anybody about it. don't want anybody knowing anything about it. So I'm just a private Christian. <laughs> All right. 39%. 39%. That's a lot. Uh, look, there's many ways to be a witness for Christ. You don't have to go around knocking on doors. We used to do that. Um, the way the world is and culture is now, especially after COVID, I don't want to go knock on anybody's door. Cold knocking. You know, it just it seems to do more harm than good these days. I know there's some out there, that's the only way to get it. You know, okay, you do it that way. Uh, but there's other ways to be a witness for Christ other than going up and, and cold knocking on somebody's door that don't want you there. Um, we've done some, we've done a lot of that. They don't want you there, trust me. Uh, all right, let's uh, look at verse 36. <clears throat> Jesus continues talking with them. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together, and herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. So here Jesus is telling the disciples that both sowing and reaping are necessary in, the, in doing the things of God. 
And whether you are a sower or a reaper, both of you will rejoice at the end results, the fruit that comes from from that activity, from sowing and reaping. Both together will rejoice in those things of those who's been saved. And so in Jesus' day, the sower would have been the prophets of old. It would have been men like John the Baptist, men that came before the disciples and had already shared the truth that God is sending a Messiah to come to save the world from their sins. There's one coming. And so they've laid the foundation. They sowed the seeds of God, the seeds of truth. And so the disciples are going to be those who's going to reap. Those that reap are those that come behind after the seed's been sown, and they build upon what's already been planted. And so the disciples are those men. And uh, they've, they've, uh, there's examples all throughout the Bible of the sower and the reaper, working together for the end results, the fruit that is born from that, and that is saved souls. Uh, Look over in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 13. Matthew 13, and uh, we'll start with verses 1 through 9. This is the parable of the sower, Matthew 13. And uh, this whole section there uh, is parables in this whole chapter and uh, down through there. But uh, I'm going to focus on the sower. Matthew 13 and verse 1, the Bible says, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground. And brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. All right, so this is the parable that Jesus gives. Now, we all know what a parable is, right? It, it's, a, uh, it's a story with a great truth behind it. And it's told in a way to get people to understand by using it in their own um, uh, language or their own um, experiences. These people Jesus is speaking to understand about sowing and, and harvesting and all that. And so that's why he's using this parable this way. Now, he is going to actually give the uh, interpretation of his parable down in verse, starting with verse 18. Look at it down there, Matthew 13 and 18. It says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, Then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. All right, so that's that's one way that the seed goes. One goes by the wayside. Well, he just said the one that goes by the wayside, the seed was sown, but along came the wicked one, and he caught away the seed, and and so uh, that's what happened to that one. Verse 20, But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and Anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not rude in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he's offended. 
Uh, he uh, also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. All right, so other seed was sown. So some by the wayside, uh, the, the wicked one come and snatched away and then others in stony ground. And uh, that didn't take because as soon as something happened, uh, it didn't apply. They didn't apply it to their heart, and so they just didn't want anything to do with it. And then those that uh, the thorns grew up and got around it and choked it out, uh, they allowed that to happen because of all the other things that they were more concerned about instead of the things of God. And so all those became unfruitful. He said, "Look at verse twenty-three." But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And so in this parable, of course, the sower represents believers and disciples of God, those that the word really took root in their heart. They didn't allow the things of the world to interrupt uh, the truth. They didn't allow their current situation to push out the word of God. They didn't allow the wicked one to come along and convince them otherwise. It took hold. And grew, and not only did it grow, but it began bearing fruit and multiplying. Some of them brought, brought forth a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And so these people, we see the results of it the great fruit that comes from first the seed got sowed and then it gets reaped, and here we see it's abounding in, in fruit. And so the sower represents believers and disciples who share the gospel and the truth about salvation. They plant the seeds of truth into people's hearts. And this shows our responsibility as believers today to be faithful in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ uh, with others, regardless whether or not they receive it. And we don't pick and choose who we can share it to. We share it to whoever and whenever. And, you know, it, it's not up to us to pick and choose who is going to receive the word with joy and, you know, uh, receive it and then, and then uh, uh, bring forth fruit. That's not our business. Our business is just simply to sow the seed. That's, that's it. Uh, the reaper represents those who witness and participate in the harvest. Now, they could be the ones that come along after the sower and start building on the foundation that's been laid. So someone hears the word of God. They're, they're, they're thinking about it, mulling it over their mind, and someone else comes along and says, Hey, um, you, know, you know what that means? It's kind of like, uh, who was it, uh, Philip? Uh, the evangelist um, was, it, was him or the disciple no, no it was the evangelist and so uh, the, the deacon the preaching deacon and so he comes and uh, the man is up there in the chariot and he's reading from the book of Isaiah and so he comes along and says hey you know what you're reading about and he says how can I unless some man tells me and so he climbs up and he points out well this right here is talking about the Messiah that's coming you're reading from you know Isaiah uh, chapter 53 and so he explains the truth to him, and, and after that, the man says, well, what's keeping me from being saved? You know, and so uh, simply believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he gets baptized after that. And so we saw that he come along, the word is being sown because he's reading from the word of God. It got sown, and then along come Philip, who was the, uh, the reaper, and he built upon what the man already knew, and we see his life got changed. He got, he got saved. And so uh, the Apostle Paul, he understood the, the, the whole thing about sowing and reaping. In fact, 
when people were coming around saying, well, I was baptized by so-and-so, and I was baptized by this guy, and I was baptized by him, you know, Apollos and uh, all that. Well, Paul tells them, look, he says in 1 Corinthians 3 and 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. And so Paul's explaining to the church, it doesn't matter who did the sowing, who did the watering. Uh, it all is to bring glory to God. And that's the only thing we're concerned about. We worked in uh, together. And so that's, that's how we are as Christians. I may get up here and preach a message. Somebody may hear it. The word gets sown, but then one of you could go along and say, hey, um, you, you know what you know that was talking about, or you know, can I help you understand anything about that? You could come along and be the reaper that builds upon the seed that's already been sown. It could be a, you could be the sower. You could have a Bible tract and and take it somewhere and give it out or leave it or something. Somebody pick it up. Seed gets sown by reading that Bible tract. Somebody else comes along, the reaper, and builds upon it. He says, hey, what you got in your hands there? Well, I've got this Bible tract. Somebody, oh, let me see it. Oh, do you know what this means? Yeah, well, I, I, I was wondering about that. And so starts building upon that. And we see how it all works together. The sowing and the reaping. It's, uh, it's hand in hand. But ultimately, God is the one that gets the glory. We don't get glory for that. You know, there's a lot of people today, they want to go out and, you know, they witness to somebody and, and if they make a profession, and whether it's a real one or not, they want to get out their phone and say, just got saved, you know, wants to pull them out and post it on social media. Uh, I always, I always ask them, does somebody really get saved if their picture don't get posted? You know. Uh, so, all right, now look back in our opening text, John chapter four, verse thirty-eight. We'll be finish up here uh, quickly. Verse thirty-eight. Jesus goes on to say, "I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you are entered into their labor." So, Jesus is simply reminding the disciples they're part of a chain of laborers. They're part of this. They didn't do any of the, the, the upfront labor. Other men already have done it. The prophets have already sown the seed. John the Baptist has already sown the seed. He prepared the way. All you got to go out and do is, is reap the harvest. It's out there and it's ripe. And so he tell them the truth is, uh, you know, this, this truth isn't just for his disciples. It's for us too today. Um. We have inherited the responsibility to continue the work of sharing the gospel and benefiting from the fruit of the labor of those that came before us. You know, I think of like my grandparents or my grandfather, um, Preacher Spencer, and how he preached the word and reached so many people. And I feel like I can come along and build upon his foundation that he began. And uh, somebody can come along and build after, after I'm gone. And it just keeps growing and going. Uh, and we all labor together. Not for anybody to be exalted or lifted up or to be something special, but just part of the process, the things doing the will of God. And so the, Jesus has now, he's, he's told all this to his disciples for a reason, to show them the urgency that's needed to share the gospel right here and right now, not to put it off and to build upon what's already been done and so that we can all rejoice together from the fruit that comes from it. And so other people are there, and they've listened in on this. They've heard him speak. He spoke to them uh, apparently even more that's not in here. 
He's, he's said more than, than what's just here. And so look at verse 39. These last four verses pick up the, uh, the story of the woman in the well and all the people in the city that she's went out and witnessed to. And we see the fruits of her labor as being the one who sowed. Verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tear with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and now that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. And so we see right here the power of a simple testimony. Simple and look, you don't have to have some kind of miraculous story to tell about your testimony. Some people say, well, I don't share my testimony because it wasn't no big deal. I was just a kid and, you know, I knew I needed to get saved and I got saved. Tell it anyway. You know, it was a miracle in itself. You know, think about the things that God prevented happening to you because you did get saved. First of all, there's the, the, uh, the great joy of knowing that you don't have to go to hell and pay for your sins. And so a simple testimony is all that's needed. I get a little leery of these people that want to put more focus and emphasis on their sins of the past than they do of the Savior of the present. Uh, they want to talk about all the awful, wicked things, and they go into great detail, so people are sitting there going, oh, 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 you know, can't believe all that. And so, and, and that, that gets the people listening thinking about the sin and the sinful things, and they want to focus on that. Look, get away from that. You can tell everybody, you know, the things you did. You know, I sinned in the past. I did terrible things, but God saved me. And start putting your focus on what God has done, what the Lord's done for you. And this woman, she simply went into the city and told others that Jesus told her all things about her and come see him. That's all she said. That was simple. It was as simple as that. John 4 29, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not this the Christ. She went out and sowed a simple seed in this testimony simply because she went out and put forth effort. She reaped what's already been sown. The seed got sown into her. She went out and she reaped a harvest with, with the city by simply giving these few words. And don't ever downplay the importance of a testimony. Now, someone's testimony could be the very thing to get you to understand uh, what you've heard, the truths you've heard from God's Word. And, uh, you know, someone just simply uh, wants to find out more because of what you've said. That's what's happened here. All these people, they know what this woman's done, but she didn't go around saying, you know, all these wicked things. Come see a man who told me about all the men that I've been with and all that. She didn't do that. She didn't go into all the sins that she did in the past. She just said, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. And so their interest got piqued at that point, and they wanted to know about this man, and so they go out. To see, all these people in the city just go out to see, see Jesus. Uh, so her testimony was simple, but look at what it did. Uh, the simple planting of the seed. And what was the result? They came seeking the truth. What did they find? They found the truth. Some of them believed because of her testimony. That's what they said there. Uh, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. He told me all that I ever did. And then others believed not because of her testimony, 
but because they came out and heard him speak for themselves. He stayed there two days talking with them. And so he was telling them all the things they need to know, and the Bible doesn't tell us what all he said to them. But it was enough to where all these other people uh, believed in him because of his word. And we have his word right here, right here in front of us. In this King James Bible, we have the words of the Lord uh, available to us. These same words are the same words that can be sown into other people's hearts. And we can see that harvest, that uh, those fields that are ripe into harvest. They're, they're white and ready to be uh, uh, harvested. And so we all have a job to do. We need to build upon the foundation that's already been laid by those that come before us. And uh, realize that there'll be people after us that uh, can build upon what we have done. You can be a sower, you can be a reaper. But regardless of what you are, we all rejoice together because all the glory goes to God. And that's what's the most important thing. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the truths in your word. We thank you for this uh, information you gave us about the woman at the well and all the things around it. Lord, the, the lessons that we learned from your conversation with the disciples. God, I pray that we apply these truths to our heart and realize that they're meant for us. And God, that uh, time is now. It's not later, not four months from now, but God, uh, the urgency is, is now. And God, we just want to do the best that we can, Lord. Uh, you know our flesh and uh, our, uh, our hindrances that we have. God, we're just praying that you help us get past that, Lord, and to be able to be a witness for you, God, so that we can, um, we can benefit and rejoice in this harvest together with others. Lord, thank you for Porchlight Baptist Church. I pray that we are faithful to you, Lord, and God, we're always in your will. And God, we uh, thank you for everything you bless us with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, uh, we'll be here next Sunday, but not the next. Uh, the 30th, we'll be at Northside Baptist Church. Be preaching there. So come join us there. And... Um, are all hearts and minds clear this morning? All right. And fear the Lord, we're separated. <laughs>